Hello and welcome to the final episode of Cat the Baker regarding Peru. I know you've waited like six months for this. <laughs> I'm kidding. I just had so many other things to talk about. Okay, but I'm finally going to end it. And I want to start off with talking about the steam room. Not in Peru, but here. And I think I just want to talk about it to get it off my chest. Because why? Why do people still do push-ups in the steam room? And it's always men. Again, I know I've talked about this. I go into the steam room. There's a man doing full-on push-ups. And outside, there's a button. Okay? And the button is turned off for the steam room. And there's a light under it. And it took me like a year to realize this was an actual button for the steam room because it doesn't look like a normal button, okay? But it's like a round kind of hexagon and you have to push it in and then the light comes on for the steam room. And I thought it was just all automatic. Like you didn't have to push it in. It just naturally would turn on, you know, like the steam in the steam room. It was automatic, but no. It's not. And that's when I realized, oh, why is it not so steamy some days than others? And the only reason I realized was because I was in the steam room and there was no steam. And I'm like, uh, this is lame. And a guy comes in and he's like, did you turn on the button? I'm like, what button? <laughs> he's like, the button that's right outside the steam room. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's what that's for? So he pressed it in and then steam came out. So after that, I realized, oh, like it's not always on. So right before I go into the steam room, I turn on the button, I go in, and there's a guy doing push-ups and he doesn't want that much steam. So he's doing push-ups in the steam room without crazy steam. So I'm like, dude, this is a steam room. I'm gonna turn on the button. Of course I said that in my head, like I'm not that confrontational, but I feel like I should be. You know, so then he got all annoyed that someone turned on the button. I'm like, yeah, you know, so I just lay down. He leaves. Another time, a guy's looking at his phone in the steam room and the button's not on. I go in, I turn on the button, I see that he's on his phone. Why are you on the phone in a steam room? Like, what is wrong with you? And then he's annoyed that I turn on the steam. You're in a steam room, okay? And today, Obviously, you know, I'm sure you can hear I'm not feeling great. I'm a little under the weather because I'm still getting over the holiday season at work. I go into the steam room. The button's not on. Fine. I turn on the button. Nobody's in there. I'm like, yes, great. I lay down. This woman comes in and it really bothers me when women make like a pretend ponytail. Like they play with their hair and they do a pretend ponytail for like, I don't know, six ponytail attempts. And then they never end up making a ponytail. Like she thrust her head forward to put all her hair in one spot and she grabbed her hair, she got up and then there's no like rubber band. She's just thrusting her head forward, you know, and grabbed her hair. And then she's got her hair in a bunch and then she's kind of straightening her hair with her hand and she's going through, rifling through her hair like six times, like she's gonna make another ponytail. But then she has no elastic band to make an actual ponytail. So then it all just goes back down again. And I don't know why this bothers me. It just bothers me, okay? And then I notice mm, the steam's getting a little bit less, like she leaves and I'm still in there. I go out and I'm like, oh my God, the light is off. This woman goes out and she turns off the light. I'm still in there. Like it wasn't that steamy that you can't tell that a person is in the steam room. I go out and I'm like scanning to look for her. I'm like, why did she turn off the steam room lights? Anyway, <laughs> this was something that really bugged me. And maybe it's because I'm sick. I'm like looking for reasons to, to confront. <laughs> But maybe even if I had the opportunity to confront, I don't know if I would regarding a steam room light, but it bothered me. I turn on the steam room light, like I press the button in and I go in again just because. Like I was kind of done with the steam room, 
But I went back in because I'm like, no, all right? And I made a point and I went in for like three more minutes. Anyway, <laughs> this was my steam room debacle. So let's go back to Peru. Okay, let's time warp back, even though it feels so long ago. I mean, it kind of was. And you might ask, where am I going for the next closure? Well, that's a good question. I don't know yet. I'm back from Machu Picchu. It's Halloween. It's October 31st. Like, we take the bus back to Cusco. I take out all my dirty laundry. Everything smelled really bad from Machu Picchu. It just smelled country-ish. Is that a bad description? Um, I don't know, just musty. You know, we were walking a lot. But for some reason, it was just mountainous, mountainous smells. I don't even know what that means. But the laundry smelled bad. And we took a van with locals to Cusco. And it took about two hours so on the way, there was an avalanche. Like, remember when I was talking about we took this road through the valley and it was like on the edge. There were cliffs on the side of this road and there was no railing. It was just the road along the valley. Well, this is the same road going back, partly. And there was an avalanche on the way there. So everyone had kind of stopped. And also, this was about to be the rainy season. Like, it was about to start being the rainy season and everything was so dry. So I guess this is normal for avalanches to happen and the rocks fall more easily. They may have intentionally caused an avalanche so that it doesn't happen later on in the season. So they intentionally get rid of loose rocks. Anyway, the trip took longer getting back. And the van was super stuffy, like super warm. It made me tired when we arrived in Cusco. And that's when we went to Jose's friend's dad's bakery. You know, I was pretty tired, but we had to make wawas. It was All Saints Day. So it's a type of brioche, but it's made with more sugar. Like the sugar is not fine. It's a bit more coarse, but it mixes longer. So you top it with sprinkles, coins for prosperity, and there are these baby clay heads and you put the clay heads on top you know of these like decorated baby bodies i know it sounds weird and then you bake the whole thing you know you egg wash it you decorate it and it's just a tradition it's a tradition for all saints day but the reason i'm talking about it because what was really interesting i enjoyed hearing the stories of jose's friend's dad so he lives in this bakery there are no signs that it's a bakery. It's a residence, and he happens to have a bakery inside of the residence, and just all the locals know about it. And the entrance to the house goes through the courtyard. You know, from the outside, you just have these walls, and there's a door. You open the door, and you're basically in the garage. And then there's a whole courtyard. And around this courtyard is the house, and the house is on two levels. And there's no hallway like you would have inside a house. Everything's outdoors. And you have these balconies to get to these individual rooms. If you go straight ahead, that's the entrance to the bakery. So he has this wood-fired oven. It's super, super deep. It's a huge oven. And the locals bring their guinea pigs. <laughs> yes, you heard that right. They bring their guinea pigs to be baked in this oven. And I think, like, he said once a week, he bakes guinea pigs in it, which was very disturbing for me. And no, I did not try a guinea pig. I saw a lot of disturbing things, and I wasn't gonna eat a guinea pig. No, I'm good. I had, like, um, I had chicken feet, and that was disturbing enough for me. Like, I'm glad that every part was used. I gave the chicken feet in a soup to Jose, and he was like sucking on them. I'm like, good for you. You know, it kind of grossed me out, but good for you. So we get into this bakery. He had like guinea pigs and they were marinated and they were ready, like in a container. He had innards of some sort and they were ready to be baked as well. So he makes a lot of money on baking these items and less money on bread. But the locals live off of bread. You know, so every morning he bakes bread and he never has a day off. So he's constantly baking bread. I was in the bakery with him. He was saying how he took over the bakery from his dad. Like his dad was a baker. And when Jose's friend was young, he was actually a runner. You know, he was actually really good. And he wanted to run for Peru. 
You know, he baked as a job to help his dad, but he was passionate about running. So in his 20s, he got to travel because of it. But the government of Peru didn't support him. Not like other countries supported their athletes at the time. You know, Europe had other sponsors, U.S., like other countries. You know, they were big into sponsoring their athletes. But Peru didn't. And he even had to buy his own shoes and his own outfits. And South America wasn't one of the lead countries at the time for athletes. So he gave up. Like, he won a lot of medals. But he was bitter about it. He basically envisioned this whole other life. And his dad died and he took over. So every day he makes over 3,000 breads. He bakes meats for locals in his wood oven, including guinea pigs, which is cooey. That's what they call it. (laughs) With potatoes. So he puts three trays of guinea pigs to be baked and stomachs from the cow. Good thing I wrote all this down. But it was really sad to me because I didn't understand what he was saying. You know, Jose translated. But I really felt sadness. You know, it's like he had this dream and it got sidelined. Like his dream got put out because of his duty for the family to take over the business. And because at the time, Peru wasn't sponsoring their athletes, you know, so there was a lot of sadness and a lot of anger. You know, even though this was maybe, I want to say 30, 35 years ago, he was still very angry. He's good at what he does, his techniques, the way he makes the bread, the way he bakes it, super fast, so fast. And it was cool to see his bakery. It's all about the oven. You know, there's nothing fancy or anything. You know, the oven is just nice and deep. He fills it with wood and it heats really nicely. It goes back so, so far. Jose and I took a break to go to Pollo a la Brasa, which is where we had rotisserie chicken. And then that's where we had the chicken soup, where (laughs) we had the soup filled with chicken feet. And it totally shocked me. But Jose was saying that up in the highlands, which is where Cusco is, they take more time to grow chicken. It takes six months versus three months. So ultimately, the chicken has a different flavor. They don't use hormones as they do in the city, which makes sense. Like the longer you let something grow naturally, of course, it's going to have better flavor. So we finished making the breads and then we went out for Halloween. So everybody was dressed in the town center and all of a sudden there were so many people. And Cusco is a town of one million, so there were some really intricate costumes, and it was really fun to see. So first, Jose and I decided to go for dinner, and he suggested this vegan restaurant called Greenpoint. And at first, I'm thinking, yeah, sure, you know, I'm open to it. Um, he said I would love it. I'm like, oh, okay, let's see, you know. Um, we walk through these alleyways, and... There's the entrance, and it's a really beautiful entrance. There's this glass door with all these small, like, black rocks everywhere. And then you have all these plants on the side, and it's inside, kind of, the entrance. There's an alleyway. Uh, It's inside yet outside. We walk in through this other door, and that's the main entrance of the restaurant. And it has, like, bamboo walls, and then the front desk person shows you to the table and you walk through these trees. There's live trees in there and all these different plants. And basically you have privacy from these other tables from all these huge plants everywhere. And the ambiance was just so amazing. Like I loved it just for the ambiance. There are rocks everywhere, trees. There's a musician playing the piano and singing and it was just like such a great vibe i really loved it and we ordered and i had this um it was like grilled vegetables but barbecued and it was this big piece of mushroom it was very thin but it tasted very meaty and with it there was like peruvian corn and all these other vegetables with dipping sauces it was such a large dish and it tasted so good and jose and i split it Um, we also got a like a miso soup but it was really delicious i was super surprised but mainly i love this style you know very nature vibes and and all these nature components in the restaurant it was so beautiful and he was right i did love it (laughs) We went through alleyways to the bar and they had this warm tea with pisco with flavors like passion fruit. But then there was a threat that the mayor said 
he would close bars at 11. I guess he wanted to be voted. So all the bars locked the doors from the inside. Like all the bars got filled with people. And then at 11, they locked the doors. And then you could hear police walk through all the bars, like outside, and basically checking if people were there. So yeah, we were in a bar and we were ready to leave. It was like midnight, I want to say. When we opened the door, the police were standing there and they came in and basically had everybody leave. So I ruined it for everybody else, you know, because the bar was just locked and people were having drinks and all that. And they were just waiting, I guess, for the police to be gone. But nobody was gone. I go out and there's some crazy mob, like all these police And there were like rows of police. And it was like rows of police against angry people that wanted to go out and drink. And some people were drunk, you know, and the police were totally ready to start attacking. So I'm looking at Jose. I'm like, we have to get out of here. Like, this is not a good situation. So we go into the other direction, away from where all these police like stampedes were. Like they were standing in line with shields. And more than anything, they were making a statement you know, about power, like they're doing what they say they're going to do. But it was kind of like a scary moment, you know, because I'm like, these people just want to go out like it's Halloween. And earlier that night, so I guess for Halloween, and I don't know what they're called. It's like scaffolding, but it's not metal. It's like a wooden scaffolding. And there's these like fireworks attached to the scaffolding. And they're in different shapes. They're like 3D fireworks. And there's a person standing on the inside of it. You know, so for Halloween, outside of the church, they had these just huge scaffoldings, maybe six of them. And they started them, like they lit them up. And there were just these like crazy fireworks that shot off from this wooden scaffolding that was put together by all these people. And there was a person on the bottom, like amidst all the fireworks that was setting up all these fireworks like lighting it as it was going off and I'm thinking this is so not like legit (laughs) like it was totally legit but it wasn't safe at all I mean it was crazy I felt like this guy was gonna light on fire but he was fine it was just like a normal thing (laughs) you know so I was totally worried for him you know because he had different levels of fireworks shooting off of this scaffolding so I go back to the hotel The next morning, I have a later start. I had breakfast at the hotel. And at first, I had trouble finding where the breakfast was. You know, like every day I've been getting up early, so I couldn't have breakfast at the hotel because it was before they served breakfast. But today, I could enjoy the breakfast. So I go down to the main area, and I'm like, where is breakfast? And I see this other woman looking around, like, where could breakfast be? And I kind of say in broken Spanish, like, where is breakfast? She's like, I don't know. And she looks up and around, and then she disappears. Like, I guess she figured it out. So I'm like, oh, where did she go? And I kind of follow her up the stairs, and then I realize, oh, she found the room for breakfast. And she didn't, like, offer to tell me. I'm like, you could have, like, told me. So I get in the room, I sit down. The owner is there of the hotel. Well, I guess he's a manager. He's a hotel manager. He gives me coffee. And coffee there is instant coffee. It wasn't like fresh from the beans. And I wanted some milk in my coffee. They don't put milk in their coffee. I didn't realize this. I asked the hotel manager, I'm like, do you have some milk? You know, I'm like, leche. (laughs) Milk. (laughs) He's like, oh, you want milk? Like in Spanish. Yeah, please. He disappears. He's like, wait, wait a minute. I hear him go down stairs, like a lot of stairs. I keep hearing stairs and doors, stairs and doors. He comes back five minutes later, out of breath, with canned milk for my coffee. Like, it's not normal that people drink milk in their coffee. That's when I realized, okay, that's not normal. But he got me milk and, you know, it tasted different. It was canned milk, evaporated milk. I'm like, okay, not going to ask for this again. But then he starts flirting with me, like the hotel manager. And I don't, I don't speak Spanish. I'm like, why are you flirting with me? You know, 
and he pulls out his phone and he starts flirting with me through Google Translate. I'm sure Google Translate has been used for all kinds of things, and you can add flirting to that list as well. He would not stop asking me questions. You know, are you here with your boyfriend? Are you married? Like just all kinds of things. I just wanted to enjoy my breakfast. He'd write something in Google Translate, show me, and I'd be like, see, <laughs> or no, like 20 times. I'm like, okay. And basically the question was, oh, why are you not married? You know, will you come back to Cusco? I'll be here. Like, come back to this hotel. I'm like, geez. Anyway, I finally finished and I kind of wanted to eat a bit faster. So I met Jose in the town center and I wanted to get a sweet corn tamale. But literally, as I'm standing in front of the stand to get the sweet corn tamale, like I'm waiting for this woman to acknowledge me so I can give her money so she can give me a tamale. She just closes up shop and I'm like standing there for like five minutes. I'm like, is she going to acknowledge me? Next thing I know, she's closed. I'm like, could you not have told me this like five minutes ago? So I go to somebody else to get a sweet corn tamale and I meet Jose. We walk to the church. It was called San Lorenzo. In the middle of the square, there's two different churches. So this one is an old Spanish church. There's gold leaf everywhere on the altar. It was a beautiful view from the top balcony. We leave and I get some coca candy, which is not illegal, but the coca leaves are. So I couldn't buy actual coca leaves because the U.S. government says it is not legal to bring it back. Technically, they don't want any coca products to come back. But I guess in candy, it's not illegal. So if you have coca candy, it just settles your stomach. You know, so if you're not feeling well, the coca candy helps with that. And it also kind of wakes you up. <laughs> Surprise. And then from there, we walk to the, and I'm going to probably not say this right, but it's the Curicancha Iglesia y Convento de Santo Domingo. Okay, so it's an original Incan building that was originally a place dedicated to the sun worshipping. So the Spanish invaded it and took over their buildings. And you can totally see. They took the building and then made it their own. Like they built this random Spanish-looking building in the middle of this Incan building. And they had this courtyard and everything. Like it looked nice, but they just wanted their own imprint on this Incan building. And then again, they just build a church on top of it. No matter what, the Spanish just built churches on top of old Incan buildings. And I guess the Spanish were afraid of the Incans because they knew things that they didn't know about spirituality, the sun, and at the same time, they dominated them, like with every native people around the world. So it was interesting to see the perfect stone walls, like fitting perfectly together next to the Spanish walls. And the Incan walls will last forever. You know, they were perfect and thick versus the Spanish walls. They started peeling. But it was beautiful because there were gardens outside with flowers. And there was this big Incan field where they had stones and patterns. And then after that, we walked through the markets. There was lots of pork. So I guess for All Saints Day, there's just roasted pig everywhere. Like stands with just roasted pork. So everyone eats wawas, like the breads that we made and roasted pork. So we ended up walking to a cemetery since people brought food and drink for their loved ones. So it's a cemetery with tombs stacked on top of each other with a window in front where you put little things and food. So it was very interesting because it was different. It wasn't just like a tomb with their name on it. It was glass. And then behind the glass, you put these little trinkets, you put pictures, figurines, or like different figurines. It was just cute because there were all kinds of different things and they put food offering, drink offerings, but the tombs were stacked like six to eight levels. And then you need a ladder and then everyone was cleaning their windows. So everyone was taking care of their loved ones and, and the tombs. So we're cleaning it, putting new trinkets there. So when a person died, there was a procession and an actual person had died and they had this procession and they had rose petals that were being thrown like on the casket on the way to the cemetery so like the whole thing was just super emotional and just different i enjoy going to graveyards anyway i know that sounds morbid a graveyard is a beautiful place for me it's not morbid it's kind of relaxing <laughs> and maybe that sounds weird but you've got beautiful flowers, you've got these beautiful buildings and tombs and history. I just really enjoy going to graveyards. 
But like since my mom died, there's just different meaning for when I go to graveyards. When, and I just found myself like, my God, this was, it was just heavy emotionally. It was also around the same time that my mom had died, you know, time-wise, a couple years prior, which just found heightened everything for me anyway. So after that, we were hungry and we ended up getting lunch at a Chinese place. So I got this dish. I wanted noodles. I wanted noodles and it said like there was sweet chicken, but then I got the dish and it wasn't what I imagined it was. So the thing is, I wanted to see what Chinese food was like in Peru. And a friend of mine said, why would you eat Chinese food in Peru? I'm like, well, just to see. She's like, did you see other Chinese people? I'm like, no, I don't know. It was like lunchtime. There were no other Chinese people, but the dish was, it was like regular noodles. It was like regular angel hair pasta. It wasn't even like rice noodles. So it was a weird dish. It had regular noodles with peaches, like canned peaches and pineapple and chicken and this sweet sauce. It was like not sour, but the chicken was marinated. It was pink and it was pink from the food coloring. And I don't know, I just, it was weird, but I started eating it. I'm like, okay, this is okay. It's not what I imagined Chinese food to be like, and it wasn't good for Chinese food. So I've never seen this type of Chinese food anywhere. And later on that night, it actually, it made me sick. So this was the reason my friend was like, if you don't see other Chinese people, don't eat there. But before I got sick, we walked back to Jose's friend's house and it started to hail, but not small hail, like giant hail. Half of my hand size hail, like balls. So we had to run. So we were almost at the house and it started to hail and it hurt on the skin. Uh, I've never seen so much hail. Everything was covered and it looked like snow. So we stood there probably like 20 minutes and just staring at the hail. And then when it settled down, I took a taxi back to the hotel and we met later for karaoke. This was really fun. We went out with Jose's friends and we got a karaoke box. So they call it, when you get your own room, it's called a box. Before that, we tried to find dessert and they were saying how we need to find masamora, which is a pudding made from purple corn. They were saying we have to go to this place to try it, but everywhere was packed because it was a holiday. So they were either packed or sold out. Instead of all of that, we ended up getting pizza. <laughs> I wanted dessert, but we ended up getting pizza. I'm like, okay. We go to karaoke. It was a lot of fun. I sang a lot of Bee Gees. That night, I go to sleep, and my stomach is like growling. Not in a good way. I mean, is it ever good when your stomach growls? No. Like, But it was super bloated. The next morning, I'm like, okay, I'm not feeling good. Like, I was kind of nauseous on the verge of vomiting. I go to the bathroom like several times. I message Jose and he tells me to go to this pharmacy to get, it's called T3. It's this gel. It's a magnesium glycate and it's to stop going to the bathroom. Like basically as soon as you take it orally, it seals everything everywhere. And it really did work. I'm not feeling good at all. The hotel manager is messaging me. You know, he's telling me to come to breakfast. He had everything specially made for me. I'm thinking, damn, like this is the least thing I want to do right now. And he messaged me in Spanish, which I had to then translate. Like, I'm not feeling great at all. And I don't want to deal with this. Ah, I go there because I'm like, okay, he had everything specially made. I'm not feeling great. And he's starting to talk to me through Google Translate. And I'm like, no, I'm not feeling it. Like, I'm not feeling well. I have just plain bread because I'm thinking, okay, something, you know, something to keep something in. He's like, you're not feeling well. I'm like, no, I'm not feeling well. But he even had the evaporated milk for me for my coffee. He had different kinds of jams. Like this would have been a great breakfast had I been feeling well. But he kept showing me stuff on Google Translate, like, what will you do? Why aren't you feeling well? I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. So I leave. He's like, oh, I'm sorry to see you leave. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to the pharmacy. I walk through the streets to get to this pharmacy. It's maybe like an eight minute walk, but I'm having trouble like walking upright because I'm just feeling so crappy. And as I'm walking, I'm seeing like poop on the streets from 
um, like stray dogs when there's poop, you know, and sometimes people step in it and then there's these marks of poop and I was seeing it and it was, I was like on the verge of throwing up. It was so bad. I finally get this gel. I take it right away. It does not taste good. And then I see like these parents and this kid has to pee. So they take this kid, he pulls down his pants and he just has him pee on the side of the road. And I swear I was about to vomit. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? You know, so people are just peeing. There's crap on the streets from the stray dogs. And it was just like grossing me out so much. And in that moment, I just, I, I want to be back in the U.S. <laughs> like I had this overwhelming feeling that now, okay, I need to be back. But I still had five more days. I make it back to the room. I have to like keep going back to the bathroom. You know, so I lay down and the stuff did work. And in two more hours, we had to take a flight back to Lima. So I had to check out of the hotel. I leave and the hotel managers are all sad. And he's like, I hope you feel better. He's like, do you think I can message you on WhatsApp? Because he had my WhatsApp information so I could check in. And if there was any emergency, that way I could write him. But now he's like wanting to use the WhatsApp to say hi and write to me. And I just leave. <laughs> I can't handle this right now. We get to the airport and I get some Coke. Like, not cocaine. <laughs> like soda, Coca-Cola. I take out the, the bubbles and that's really helping. It's settling my stomach. The plane is not packed, which is good. I ask, you know, when we board, I ask for a vomit bag. The person next to me was not happy to see that that the flight attendant gave me a vomit bag. Thankfully, I didn't have to vomit. Like, the Coca-Cola really helped. But I felt so bad, and I just slept on the plane. I get to Jose's family's house, and they made me this cactus juice and this tapioca-style pudding, like, just to keep some food in. And first of all, when you get out of the airport in Lima, it's crazy. Like, you've got, like, 20 people asking you if you want to take the taxi, you know, nonstop. And I thought it was just, like, when I arrived, I thought it was just me because I looked like a tourist. But they did it to Jose, too. And he just ignored them. He's like, no, no, <laughs> no. We continued walking out of the airport. And then later on, he asked somebody, because I guess it's cheaper the further you walk. So we finally get to his house. And then his aunt made a fish soup. It was lovely that he took care of me, which I really appreciated. A fish soup would not be the first thing on my list to eat when I'm feeling nauseous. Like it smelled fishy. And as like I'm eating it, because I'm not trying to be disrespectful, it just, it almost made me gag more. But as I was eating it, it felt good. It did make me feel better. But it's just as you're eating it and smelling it, it's not the first thing you want. But they gave me like some meds. I basically slept all day. I drank chamomile tea. I slept that night. I slept like a total of 18 hours, like a really long time. And the next day, I was feeling good, you know, and I had to be. Because <laughs> that next flight, like the next day, we got ready to fly to Trujillo to visit Jose's dad. So he lives on the ocean. And again, it's like a two-hour flight north on the beach. So that next day, we get up early. I packed a small bag for Trujillo. And we woke up early. I had like one of these baby bananas. You can't get them here, but they taste so much better. They just have more flavor. Maybe they're starchier. I don't know, but they taste better. I had that with the tapioca starch pudding. It was a weird texture, but it made my stomach feel better. And then I had some like gum sapling juice. I don't know what it was. It was from a, a, a plant. I don't know. His mom and his aunt like gave it to me. I just drank whatever they gave me because it seemed to help. It was like some sort of gum juice mixed with water. It was like a bad consistency. Like, not good. Like slimy, you know? But my stomach felt really good after that. Jose's uncle drove us to the airport, but the streets were crazy. The airport is super close. Just driving in Peru is insane. You know, when I get kind of carsick in the back seat, and then you're going in and out, in and out, swerving all these different lanes of traffic just getting over food poisoning the prior day. It was kind of rough, so we got on the flight. This time we're behind a nightmare family. Like there's two little kids 
They're crying, they're coughing, and they're just being nightmares. Like, <laughs> Jose and I were just looking at each other. He's like, this is why I don't want kids. <laughs> so we arrive in Trujillo. His dad picks us up. Just the area was very different. There were beaches, lots of sand everywhere. There wasn't regular soil. It was all very, like, sandy. Whereas in Cusco, it was more green. And then Lima, it's just more concrete and more pollution. I saw so many different areas of Peru that it was really interesting how different they all were. We drive to his house. We have lunch. Like, he made this white fish with chili, onions, and ginger with yuca and rice. Like, his dad is a really good cook. You know, he shows us the whole house. And Jose had never seen this house before. Like, this is the first time Jose saw the house. You know, so we drive in, and from the outside, it's just, there's a door, and there's a garage. Okay, we open the garage, and his garage kind of leads into his house. It was kind of weird, because there was no separate wall for it to be a garage. Once you were in the garage, you were in the house, and there was a staircase, and it went up. But if you go in the main door, there's a living room. Behind the living room is dining room. Next to the dining room is this mini kind of outdoor garden where he has a washer-dryer. Next to the dining room is his kitchen. And then opposite the kitchen is where he parks his car. It's like in the house. This house is like three levels. It's big. We go up the staircase and, and everything's tile. Up there are two bedrooms with a bathroom. You go up another level, there's another bathroom with another bedroom. And there's another staircase and it goes up and there's this open door. Like there's no door, it's just open. And it leads you to the roof. I've just never seen that before. Like I've never lived somewhere where it's warm enough that you don't need a door from the outside to the inside. And it's just like a natural circulation for the house. So I go to the top of the roof. He's one block away from the ocean. Like there's this sea air. It's beautiful. And Jose's like kind of surprised. He's like, oh my God, this house is huge. <laughs> He's like, I've never seen it. So like his dad separated from his mom and he moved like north and he has his own property and he's retired. You know, but his dad seemed happy to have company. He's, he was happy to have Jose and to see him. And he made us this fresh mango smoothie, which I love Peru and the smoothies. You know, it's just fresh fruit with water. Like, that's it. Everything is naturally sweetened. It's not really a smoothie the way we understand a smoothie to be in the U.S. You know, there the fruit is amazing. I'd rather just eat it as is instead of making it into a smoothie. But it was still so good, you know, because it's rare. It's rare for me to have this fruit. So he made the smoothie with passion fruit and mango. And then after that, we went to a Shamu museum. So the Shamus were an ancient civilization from 1000 BC to 1450 BC. So they built, it's called Resplendent Sun. It's called Chan Chan City in the 1300s. It's pre-Incan. So they had these adobe walls, and they had some walls up to 10 meters high. So they worshipped the sun and the moon, and they fished. So Peru had all these different ancient civilizations. And up north, you had these. And they were right on the ocean. You know, like the Incans were in the mountains, and the Shamu were on the ocean. But something happened that wiped out the whole civilization. And nobody truly knows what it was, but it came from the mountains, not from the ocean. But it was interesting because we went through this whole area where they lived, and it was like a maze. It was just all these adobe walls open to the sun, and you could hear the ocean, and you're walking through sand, but they were thick walls, you know, so it could ward off any kind of waves. But you kind of had to remember which way you walked, because could you get lost? Okay, probably not. That's over-exaggerating. But it was very maze-like. And you could totally see this culture having their markets in this area. You saw where they lived. You know, they had these like little house areas. It was super interesting. And there's still parts of it being discovered. Like this area is huge. And it spans such a wide area. But the city started building buildings on top of these old walls without realizing it. 
So now, you know, they're trying to discover the area where it's still sandy. You know, they've kept an area for discovering more of the walls, but part of it is like too late because they've already built part of the city on top of it. And then we went into town. His dad wanted to get us like this dulce de leche dessert. So we go through these different markets and downtown is a mess. You know, there's all these buses, pollution, these bikes you know, weaving in and out. There's these marketplaces, people trying to sell you stuff. It kind of just made me like, uh, like I'm tired. <laughs> like I'm still getting over the food poisoning. But he bought this um, like dulce de leche kind of bar dessert. And we walked quite a bit and I started to feel like weak and grumpy because I was still like not feeling great. We also got alfajores and they're a lot more crumbly there because they use margarine versus butter. You know, all the desserts are just very sweet. Dulce de leche is the main like dessert you know, to be used as a filling, as a base. But something I did like, we went back to his dad's house, and nearby is this place, um, they have cremeladas. So it's a fruit puree with syrup and ice. Very, very tasty. I got um, cherimoya and cocoa, like coconut. Like, that was delicious. Anything fruit-based in Peru, like, I loved. Because it was real fruit pureed mixed with ice. You know, it was delicious. And then we walked along the beach, and it was really beautiful. It was getting toward the sunset, so I took some really beautiful pictures. But something that did disappoint me, and it was sad to see, was just there was a lot of trash on the beach. You know, do people not care enough? Is there nobody cleaning the beach? Do people just throw more trash on there? Like, there's bottles, there's plastic. I don't know, it was just sad to see. It made me sad and, like, less impressed. Because you wouldn't see this kind of trash you know, even in L.A. I didn't even see this kind of amount of trash on the beaches in New Jersey. So we stop by this little bakery. We get rolls for dinner. Then his dad also gets us a lime tart, but they call it a pie. But it's topped with a huge amount of meringue, like insane amount of meringue, six times the height of the actual pie. It's kind of like a key lime pie, but it didn't have any cream. It was it was a bit too sweet. You know, it could have more lime in it. It was still good. So the next day, we get up early because his dad wants to show us these fishing boats. So the waters right by the ocean are kind of shallow. So they have these native boats. It's kind of like a straw. They're made out of straw or like a grass. I don't know how to describe it. They're woven, you know, by hand but they're super light. There's a little area where you can put your fish, but they're convenient because it's all done by hand. Like you go out on this little boat, it's light, and you catch the fish you need and you bring it back. You know, you paddle, like using a paddle. Um, there's no motor or anything like that, but they get a large amount of fish and they don't have to go too deep into the water. You know, and it's convenient because the water is very shallow. So we went out in the morning and he showed us these boats going out into the water. And also the straw grows in the area. It's an ancient way to make fishing boats and they still do it today because it's cheap. And it's in the shape of a kayak, but the tip is curved way up and it kind of balances the whole boat. So usually the fish are caught by nets. They use a type of bamboo as a paddle. So the fishermen brought in the fish in the morning for the restaurants and everything's just super fresh. Before I went to Trujillo, people would tell me, like Jose's family would tell me that area is famous for ceviche and just all the fresh fish. So the nice thing is they would catch these fish in small batches, bring it to the restaurants, and then they would use these fresh fish in their dishes that day. And then we went back to his dad's house and we had breakfast. He made eggs with bread, like fresh rolls. And they, they have rolls with everything. Like you have to have bread with every meal. It's a must, <laughs> you know, and then along with like other carbs. But it's not a meal without bread. And then that day we drove through Santiago. I think it's called Santiago de Cao, through the sugarcane fields. This part of the country lives off the sugarcane. We took this random road, like there's not a lot going on. It's kind of a dirt road. We're driving through the sugarcane. First of all, the process is bad for the air, the water, and the soils. In order to harvest sugarcane, it has to be burned or it will cut you, you know, the leaves. And this causes pollution and it's just smoke in the air. You can use machinery. It doesn't all have to be done by hand. It's a hard way to survive. 
off your sugar cane. The positive thing is it grows really fast and it's ready to harvest in three months. But the fields were endless, like as far as I can see. And there are three shifts constantly working in the fields and the factory. So the sugar cane gets harvested, it goes to the factory, like we get to the town, it's super small. There's nothing much there. Like these people are only there because of the sugar cane. And it looks kind of abandoned, kind of like a ghost town, but people still live there. You know, it's just hot. There's people not really outside. And then you drive a little bit further, you see the sugarcane factory. It smells like sugar and there's constant smoke coming out. Like there's juice of the sugarcane. It has to come out of the plant. So there's this mulch remaining, like after you juice the sugar. So they spread it out in piles outside for it to be dried. They even use it for toilet paper, for napkins and sanitary pads, and it's black mulch. And it's just like fields of this mulch. I mean, the good thing is they reuse it. So they intentionally put the sugar factory not too far from the ocean. Like the pollution and the breeze kind of mellows it out. The way sugar processing works is the harvesting is done mechanically. The leaves get cut off, like they get pulled out and the leaves get cut off and burned. So they get washed, then the juice gets extracted, then the juice gets purified, gets heated and becomes crystallized. Then there's centrifugation, which is a process in which the sugar crystals separate from the liquid. It separates sugar from molasses. So the sugarcane juice is boiled until it crystallizes within the thick molasses liquid, and then it's funneled into a centrifuge. And then there's drying and packing. So the sugar is burned. You have smoke and ash, which creates asthma, breathing issues. And the sugar is burned to remove the leaves and the tops of the plant, leaving only the sugar, the bearing stalk. And anything else is unnecessary. It's inconvenient for the factory. So this way, everything's off and you have the actual sugar cane ready. It's less to deal with, but it negatively impacts health, quality of life, and economic opportunity. It's cheaper to transport and easier to process. So you have open air fires beginning March through November. The burning is toxic, and the smoke from the factory is toxic for the respiratory tract. So in the US, corn was also subsidized by the government so corn syrup became more affordable for soda companies, cheaper than sugar, and was used. The largest sugar producers are Brazil, India, Thailand, China, and the US. And it's extracted from sugar cane or sugar beets. It kills more than smoking. Sugar does. So a new shoot will sprout out from the cut stalks and it will grow back if you cut it. If you pull it out, you have to replant, but it grows very quickly. U.S. sugar producers restrict imports from other countries, so the U.S. shoppers pay extra to support the domestic industry. It's a price set by the sugar companies, and that's why you have the lobbyists. So a bill was passed in 2020, making it harder to sue sugar producers from polluting communities, mainly in poor communities. And they don't have the resources to fight for clean air or also work for the producers because they need the money. This is how it works in the US. And in the US, it's mainly in Florida. Like that's the big place where they grow sugar. In the US, they have changed the law saying that you cannot burn openly for the fires, but they still do it and nobody's stopping them. In Peru, it's even poorer. So everything is done openly. It's set like right by the ocean. So we drove to a town with small markets. We got some purple corn for a drink called Chichamora, which Jose then made for me and showed me how to make it. It's a delicious drink. It's got apple, pineapple, sugar, water, purple corn, and you boil it. You bring it all to a boil and all the flavors combine. And it's super delicious. That was like one of my favorite things in Peru. And then we went to this small restaurant, but it only had a door. There was no sign. So Jose's dad just said, two. There's no menu. There's no sign outside the restaurant saying it's an actual restaurant. People just know. You walk into this building. It's this tiny, like, little room. You have, like, three tables. And the people are just making one dish. So Jose's dad just does, like, two with his fingers. And they sit down. I wasn't feeling great. So I'm like, no, I'll just have... Coca-Cola. So they only serve baby goat. 
It comes with white beans and rice. It's the only dish they serve. I say, I don't eat babies. I'm just watching them eat it. I'm sure it was very good. First off, like I wasn't feeling great still. And it was just so much food, you know, and I wasn't hungry. So they ate this huge plate of food. And then after we left, I got choritos, which are just baby churros. I'm like, okay, yes, let me, let me do something with sugar. So we drove to a local's beach. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was a bunch of locals. They were eating at tables on the beach with sun umbrellas. We went further down. It was completely sandy beaches, like nicer than closer to town. There was minimal trash. Even though there were stray dogs, um, I mean, the area looked desolate. There were no houses, just kind of strange, empty buildings and random walls. And we just hung out at the beach for a few hours. I thought, okay, maybe I'll go in the water. But then after there was nowhere to change, you know, so I'm like, okay, I'll just listen to the waves. It was very nice. But it was funny because there were all these crabs. There were like hundreds of crabs on this beach. And if you were kind of far away, you could see them pop out. They're super sensitive. If you get like too close and they see you, they all pop back in. You know, so in the distance, you just see all these crabs popping up all over the beach. And there were these tiny, like, small crabs. So after the beach, we went to this other restaurant. I'm glad I didn't eat earlier. Again, it had just a door, no windows or anything, and the door was open, and you walked in, and it was filled with locals. They had, like, some music playing. But this was a seafood restaurant. The seafood was super fresh. Like, it was caught right there. We had ceviche, um, a seafood fried platter, and a shrimp causa which was delicious. It had mashed potato. So it's a certain type of potato you put in the causa. It's not a dry potato. So Peru has over 3,000 types of potatoes. I think if I remember correctly, it was 3,000. The causa had shrimp on top, some olives and like a little salad, and it's all mixed with mayo. And you put it on top of the mashed potatoes. That was really tasty. Like, everything there was super fresh. And the place was packed with just locals. So we drove back through all the sugarcane fields. So we ate at the house again. Like, basically, the days just consist of different meals, you know? And I'm like, oh, eating again. Like, I was hungry, but also, I don't know. I was just feeling weird stomach-wise. So Jose's dad made some thin hamburgers but it made me not feel that good, you know, like depending on what I ate. I was trying to stay away from meat and things like that, but at the same time, I also didn't want to be rude and not eat anything, you know, he put in so much effort. So then the next day, I wasn't feeling good. Like my stomach was hurting. I woke up feeling bloated. We were one more day away from flying back to Lima. I was kind of looking forward to flying back at this point. Like, I was appreciating everything and, you know, it was lovely to see. But at the same time, I just wasn't feeling well. That's the one thing that really sucks is getting sick or being sick when you're traveling. It really just dampens your mood and you have low energy. I had to rest a lot. I couldn't do things like all day. I needed breaks in between. Otherwise, I'd get nauseous. And that's what's hard too, because even basic things there are different than they would be at home. Even simple things, I was worried if it would mess with my stomach. After that point, I was just excited to come back home. And also, I was worried because I was meeting my future boyfriend at the airport after I fly from Peru and I was going to meet him in Denver. I wanted to be extra careful what I was eating because I didn't want to be sick when I saw him and he was to spend like five days in Aspen with me. But in Peru, I was worried to be far from any kind of toilet. You know, once you go around the country and visit different areas, you don't know what the public toilets are going to be like. And at that point, I had been on enough public toilets that I was worried because was there going to be toilet paper? Was it going to flush? Like all these things that are major worries when you're sick. So I didn't want to be too far from Jose's dad's 
toilet, which sounds terrible. And then walking around the area and the neighborhood. Then I saw the trash on the beach, the pollution, people begging, the pollution when you're driving, the diesel smell. Like I was just getting kind of queasy. And we walked past these shops like one day and I just saw like a, a dead cat on the road. And I feel like that was like the tipping point for me. It wasn't in the middle of the road. It had happened, I don't know, a few hours before, like, or maybe a day before. Like, you know, it had been laying there for a while and people were just walking by. It was just too much to see. You just see these stray dogs opening the trash and, and getting the food they need. And then, I don't know, just animals, you know, they're everywhere and and everyone just ignores them, like they're not respected. But it's super sad. It just made me feel like, okay, I need to go back to Aspen, to clean air, to the mountains, and not seeing just random dead animals, like right in front of me. So that day we drove to Moche. It's a town known for the Moche ancient culture. So they were big into fertility and they had statues and ceramics with overly large um, sexual organs. So we went there to look at the sculptures. It was like a really cute town. And we walked up these stairs and, and saw this overview of the area. I guess a few years ago, the mayor of the town decided to have these big, I think, plastic sculptures. I think they're plastic. They had like one and a half times the size of a human sculpture with, you know, huge sexual organs uh, just sticking out. And <laughs> like he did it to attract tourism. So then people, they stand next to these statues and laugh and have a good time. And it really offended the people that live there initially. But it brought tourism in, so there's still, like, you know, pros and cons to the people that live there. But after that, like, I was pretty out of it. You know, I was just feeling, like, tired and exhausted. So we went to the town center of Moche. There was a restaurant, and I had to use the toilet. There was no seat, you know, which was normal. And I, and I was just like, oh my god, I need, like, a normal toilet. Can I just have a normal toilet? So we came back to Jose's dad's house. I rested. Like, I started to feel a bit better, and we went to the beach for a walk. We had picarones, which are the sweet potato donuts, delicious, and a cremolata, which is the, like, pureed fruit and iced. I had a lucuma cremolata, which is one of the starchy orange fruits they have there, and it tastes like butterscotch. It was really delicious. And then his dad made me a turkey soup. You know, he knew I wasn't feeling great. So he made me a soup, which was very nice. And then we found out that our flight, because our flight was the next day back to Lima, and it had been delayed, but it was just later in the day. We didn't stress the next day. We slept in a bit. We walked on the beach some more. His dad made me um, a chicken soup, and it was just very sweet. Like, he went out of his way to make me feel better. I packed everything and we bought this like Peruvian style bag for me because I had bought so many things and I needed an extra bag to fly back to the US. So we left to go to the airport. Luckily, you know, the flight was on time. We made it back to Lima and we took a cab back to Jose's house. His family greeted me and it was nice to see everyone. And I started packing and Jose's mom, she handmade me this shawl. It was like a type of vest that she crocheted and it was really sweet. So we were all in the kitchen and like we were laughing, we were telling stories of the trip. It was just really nice. You know, everybody came down, the whole family was there. We were all eating. That's what I love about family. No matter if you feel crappy, everyone brought their good spirits and their stories and everyone was laughing and it just makes you feel better. So then his family made me dinner. It was this chicken dish with a yellow sauce and boiled potatoes. And at that point, I was hungry. It was the last day, and it was a really nice ending because his family had been so welcoming and sweet. And they just all said goodbye and took pictures, and we laughed some more. And then I walked with Jose to the store because I had to get this panettone. It was like a chocolate panettone. So I wanted to bring that with me, as well as Peruvian mayo and some local sauces. 
and a concentrated chicha morada, which is that purple corn drink. So I laid down and uh, just relaxed a little bit. And at 10.30 p.m., Jose's uncle and Jose drove me to the airport, and the roads were crazy. Like, you'd think it was lunchtime. But at this point, it was almost 11 p.m. There were five lanes merging into two. There was honking. There were huge buses. They didn't care if you were driving there. They just, like, turned into the road, and you had to make room. So everyone's just honking. And it reminded me of India with just constant honking. So there was this roundabout and it was backed up, huge traffic everywhere. Also soccer was being played like in courts outside as we passed. And then Jose was saying that people say that when men go play soccer at night, they don't really play soccer, but they really go cheat on their wives. Like I was like, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I don't know what to say to that. I made it to the airport. I took my bags, I said goodbye, and that was just the beginning to the airport. Like, I checked my bag, there was a huge line for that, then I went through security, which was fast. I went through duty-free, got a few things, but it was weird because everything in Peru was so cheap, but not at the airport, like everything had U.S. prices. So the plane started to board at 1 a.m., but everyone was just standing there forever. Like they were checking and going through everyone's bags. You couldn't board the plane unless they had checked your bag. And it took like an hour and a half. It took forever. So usually I get randomly searched when I go travel internationally. But because they were checking everyone's bags anyway, like it didn't matter. But at least I didn't get double searched or triple searched or something bizarre. So I finally got checked. I boarded. The time was crunch for takeoff, but everything still worked out. Like I was super tired, but I also couldn't sleep. Like I was just feeling kind of queasy with the food. Anyway, I started watching this movie and it was called, It's Me, Margaret, Is It You, God? It's a movie about a preteen. Her family was torn apart by marrying outside of her religion. And the family, like the parents, they cut ties, but then they want to reconnect. They wanted to reconnect when their child was born because they wanted a relationship with their grandchild. And it was just interesting to see this movie to see how religion tears people apart. You know, but it was it was a good movie. And then after that, I watched this 10 minute um, thing. It was Jeremy Strong, the actor, talking about books that are important to him. And his book that he talked about was Four Quartets by T.S. Eliot. It's an acting book. This is something that jumped out at me. He said, you see the small moments in your life, how important they were, and you realize there are no small moments. Like, it's so true, you know? The small moments that you think, oh, this is no big deal, you know, they end up being the the moments you remember. Like on my trip to Peru, the last night, the whole family was present and we were laughing, we were telling stories. That was so memorable to me and it was beautiful. You know, it was such a perfect ending to the trip, but I could relate to that quote. It's the moments that you look back that were unplanned and they were the most beautiful. You know, just spending time with your friends and important people and family. And so finally the flight landed. I arrived in Houston. I went through immigration. So get this, okay? This is the first time I'm traveling as a US citizen. And like before this, I always traveled with a green card. So there was no officer at the citizen line. Like there's just all these citizens from the U.S. We're in Houston and there's nobody. (laughs) The officers are taking the tourists first. Like all the citizens are waiting. And like meanwhile, the green card line was moving fast. So this really annoyed me, right? Like for 29 years, I've had a green card. And this is the first time with a passport, and I was so annoyed. I thought I might miss my connecting flight. Because the thing is, when you, when you land internationally, you have to pick up your bags and recheck them. And then go through security again. So the whole thing took forever. And I just wanted everything to go perfectly so I could see my future boyfriend. And I was getting um, super nervous about this. I just wanted it to go smoothly. But I finally made the flight to Denver. I got there like two hours before he did, you know, so I took the time to like put makeup on in the bathroom. I brushed my teeth like I did everything to not look 
super tired and like I had just like not slept the night. And then I was wearing this black dress and I saw I had alpaca fur lint like from the cardigan that I bought in Peru and it was all over my black dress. And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, And then at the airport, I had this um, yogurt drink. It tasted so good. Like it was just a regular yogurt drink, but I hadn't had dairy this whole time in Peru. It was the best yogurt drink. It was just so good and creamy. It just made me so happy. Like it's in simple things. And so at that point, I was just excited to see my boyfriend and uh, and hope that, you know, there were vibes and good attractions and everything. I see him, like he's waving. I stand up and I hug him. We talked for, I guess, like an hour. And then from there, we flew together to Aspen. And it was kind of surreal, you know, because the first time we met before that was on the plane when I flew back from the Coldplay concert and he was sitting next to me and we talked the whole time from San Diego to Denver. And now he was visiting me, you know, so we could only meet at airports. Like this is the rule, I'm kidding. And the whole trip of him visiting was great. You know, we cooked, we laughed. We just had a natural time together. And I thought that was amazing. It's different when you get to know somebody first over the phone, but it's less pressure. It's nice. When he left, I was like kind of sad. You know, I'm like, oh, this is over already? You could say that Coldplay brought us together. <laughs> well, and United Airlines. I mean, this whole thing could have gone terribly wrong. And we talked about it a few days later that we're so glad it didn't. So that is the big ending to Peru. Yeah, it took me like the whole season to talk about it. Um, I have a couple months and the season's over again from the hotel. But as interesting as it was and beautiful as Machu Picchu was, like that to me was the most memorable, was Machu Picchu and the delicious fruit and just how sincere Jose and his family was and Jose for planning everything. At the end of the day, I just feel super grateful that I got to travel and that I get to travel and see all these different cultures and try all the different foods. I'll pick doing something different, trying something different any day over the same old normal routine. And I recommend it to live outside your box and just try new things, see new things. I guarantee you'll have some amazing moments and amazing memories. Thank you to Jose and his beautiful family for making it such a special time for me. And keep in touch with important people and people that you work with because you never know in the future what that relationship will end up being or what that trip will end up being. So thank you for listening. I'm Chef KB. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>